Hello, everybody, and welcome to another delicious, scintillating episode of the Chocolate Bros podcast. It's captivating. It's scintillating. It's all the eightings. With Brian Horsley and Adam Pearson. I am Brian. That is Adam. And we are the Chocolate Bros. Yes, we call ourselves the Chocolate Bros, aptly named, because we are, in, we are indeed brothers. We're bros. That's right. And we're in the chocolate business. It's not a coincidence that we call ourselves the Chocolate Bros. <laughs> um, Here's an interesting fact for the listeners. You're, you're 14 years older than me. That, yeah, I think they could probably figure out that that's interesting. Yes, I am significantly older than you, as well as wiser and uh, shorter. Than you in many so other I, respects. I think, I, think the, I think the word you're looking for is shorter. Shorter also, yes. I am, I am also uh, more advanced than you in shortness. Less strong. Um, <laughs> that's right. Weakness is also <laughs> a strength of mine. <laughs> um, slower, slower runner. Slow. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I beg to differ, sir. Yeah, I beg um, to differ. Now, nah, here's why I wanted to. I wanted to mention that. Uh, I th- I just. I know we we suffer from going down rabbit holes. Me in particular. You're you're good. You're getting better at keeping me on track. But having said that, let's get back on track, Adam. No, hold on. I just want to say this. I think this okay. is. I think this is important. Having it's, said that, I go down rabbit holes. I just want to go down this one tiny little yeah. rabbit hole. And I okay. want to go deep down this rabbit hole. <laughs> let's, be, let's jump in there. Let's jump in there feet first. No. Um, even when you become an adult, mm-hmm. if you, ha- you're, you still feel like a little brother. I was going to say, brother. like, you, when you, is you, that going to happen? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it's funny when you become an adult, you still feel kind of like a kid or a teenager. Mm-hmm. You never really feel grown up. But also even, so when you're a younger brother, even when you got a wife and kids and businesses and stuff, you kind of never stop feeling like a younger brother. And also you kind of never stop idolizing your older brother. Well, it's easy to do when the older brother is such a magnificent you, specimen of no, you, motherhood. I mean, no, you, you, are, you are a stud for sure. So I, it's easy for a me short, to short, slow, weak, <laughs> <laughs> generally decrepit stud. Okay. You're, a, you're a wisdom stud. <laughs> no, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because as I've gotten older and hopefully a little wiser, I've come to realize that our relative ages have almost nothing to do with our relative wisdom levels. Cause I would say you are far superior to me in many respects, which I don't feel the least bit bad about. I'm, uh, it makes me happy for you and happy for the family that we have such a, a amazing younger member in it. Uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying that you kind of always feel like the older brother, younger brother paradigm stays in effect, but also if there's any older brothers out there who feel like they're intrinsically superior to the younger brothers by dint of age, I'll tell you, I don't feel that way at all. Cause uh, you're, you're pretty well advanced young fellow there. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, that's very, very kind of you to say. Mm-hmm. I had something I wanted to say just now and it totally escaped me. Dang I, it. Uh, I, I, drove gonna... it a, I drove it away with my, with my, with my unhindered, uh, <laughs> unhinged uh, praise of you. Yeah. And it was a good thing too. I was going to say something really nice about you, but well, I just we'll thought back to it. Yeah. It'll, it'll come back. I remember reading an article a long time ago about the Eureka moments where mm-hmm. you have your best ideas when you're not consciously trying to have a good idea. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll come back to me. So bro, where we left off, you were telling us about you lived your, your business fantasy of buying lunch for your crew at the Roach coach. And then, oh, yeah. and then immediately after that, firing the whole team. But it was a very, very Peruvian <laughs> version of the Roach coach of the yeah. lunch cart because it was a, a three wheeled moto taxi. Was it had, had pap- pap- papas rellenas? 
Uh, it, they had paparellena, they had ceviche on there. Uh, they had uh, agua cebada to drink, um, which is like a, a, a cold, delicious malt uh, drink, not not alcoholic or anything like that. That is um, delicious. Cebada, yeah. Those, yeah, those cebada drinks are delicious, man. Yeah, they had paparellena, they had um, tortilla de choclo, they had ceviche, um, and some 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 sweet that I can't, some kind of desserty thing that I can't remember. But yeah, inviting the crew to work on the company dime as the boss and having them all sit around and thank you and eating with them and joshing around. And of course the, the, so this is a guy thing. And I think all, uh, most of the, the guys, you, out there, hey, hey, some of the ladies will understand what I'm okay. about to say. Can I, can I just say something real quick? Sure. It's okay for a thing to be a guy thing. I know yeah. everybody's so into gender equality, but some stuff is a guy well, thing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one of those wrong with saying is, that given given other guys the business that's how dudes uh, is, express affection. that's right that's how dudes express affection uh, in a in in a much more in a much different way than what i know to be the 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 womanly way of expressing affection in groups and so sitting around with, and of the, I think I said that there were 23 people that I, that I bought for that day. And m the majority of those were, were guys. Uh, there were definitely some of the, the bean cleaning crew, some of the ladies that were there, uh, including Jessica, uh, the manager, but most of it was guys. And I was sitting around with a group of guys. And one thing that made me feel really good is that they proceeded to then give me the business like nobody's business. I mean, they, they tore me up and I loved it because it showed that they were comfortable with me and that they liked me and that they weren't, they didn't feel like they couldn't give me the business because I was a boss. It let me know that I had a good relationship with my work crew. And that, that made me really happy. Speaking of being your younger bro and having wisdom, one of the, <laughs> I'm going to always remind <laughs> as you as your extremely wise younger brother, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things. Oh, I wait, is Charlie here? <laughs> we don't have a there's not a third brother. <laughs> a third brother named charlie a third brother named charlie who's the wise one yes <laughs> um, man one of the things i learned early on in marriage is that women do not really care for you to make fun of them mm -mm. they you don't can, like it you can gently kid but actually actually giving them the business no, in the way that guys do to each other it's a no-fly zone i remember yeah i mean i remember walking walking into work one day and one of the guys who who works for us um looked at me i hadn't gotten my hair cut in a long time and i'm going bald he looked at me and the very first thing he said was dude your hair looks stupid <laughs> <laughs> i went dude that is hilarious you're right yeah. man you're my man <laughs> come here come here give me i'm giving you a raise i love you man <laughs> see i would have fired him but that's just management style, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, yeah different man yeah um but you can never you can never say that to um no to your, in to particular a, about the hair i mean about my the gosh, hair, yes. you don't want to you don't want to go there but yeah. yeah so uh when we left off we were at the new facility well each yeah. year we were kind of augmenting it and adding to it and making it a little bigger and a little better and trying to add some technological innovations to it. And, um, and at, at a certain point, we found ourselves kind of like built out. We had rented the property next door and we had built out this really, really great cacao bean processing facility, fermentation, uh, pre-fermentation, fermentation, pre-drying, drying, sorting, warehouse, uh, uh, mechanic shop for the motorcycles, parking area for the, for the motorcycle fleet, supplies, um, just a really great, a really great, functional, efficient working environment. And this, oh, I remember, I just remembered what I was going to say earlier, bro, mm -hmm. about being your younger brother. And also that, the fact that you were able to build all that, Brian, 
mm-hmm. cements your hero status in my mind. <laughs> Thank you. I'm and serious. Of course, when you say build, we we literally built it. We I know. We, I mentioned before we laid all the concrete floors. We did all our own carpentry, electric, plumbing. Um, we did all that stuff, and uh, it's put up our own fences, roofing, walls. We literally uh, put up what mud brick walls. It's a it's a mountain of work, but one of the great things about being in Campo is the self-sufficiency. You really, you build your own stuff out there and it's wonderful. And the dudes who live, or the men and women who live out there are so resourceful. I mean, they're, wow. so, they're so good Man, at figuring stuff out. It, that resourcefulness is something that in, in many cases has been lost in a more urbanized um, society. And one of the, I really miss a lot of the, yeah, the ability to easily go to a metal working, a metal fab shop, um, to go to, to hire a carpenter directly, um, the, the, the ability to just build your own thing, to sort of sketch out something that you want on a piece of paper, take it to someone, have them build it and collaborate with them to your spec cheaply, quickly, and easily is something that I really miss about Peru. But you want to know one of the things I really even miss more than that about Peru? And What's this that? goes back to that resourcefulness, the knife sharpeners. Do you remember the knife sharpeners? In Peru? Yeah. I do. <laughs> these are, these are guys. It's always a guy. These are guys that walk up and down the street with a funny little, uh, uh, like whistle and they blow this whistle as they walk up and down the street. And, um, and they have a sort of a contraption with them and this contraption rolls on a wheel and that, and when they're, when someone uh, goes down to them to, to have something sharpened, they turn it upside down and that wheel becomes a sharpening stone and they will sharpen your scissors, your knives, your machetes, your, whatever you need sharpened quickly, cheaply, expertly, and right on the spot. And man, oh man, if we had a wandering knife sharpener in this country, I would put that person to work. Well, there's a couple of other things kind of like that, mm-hmm. that are good about Peru. Of course, the dude who walks through the street with a wheelbarrow f- filled with meat is mm-hmm. a solid, the is meat, a, the is meat a solid guy. No, we had, that's, a, that's a in, solid dude. In Puerto Cerruelo, where we had our, I know. oh, that was it. That was actually a moto. There was, there were several of those, but the most notable was a moto taxi that sold fresh fish every day. And it was a guy in the back of the motor, the same guy. I knew him. I can't remember his name now. And he went through on a red moto taxi every day saying, pescado fresco, pescado fresco, every day. Beautiful. And that the other thing, thing, and the other thing along those lines is a kid walking around with a basket filled Big basket with full of bread and sweets of fresh baked goods. Absolutely. Yep. Bread, bread, sweets of fresh Honestly, baked goods. I, gar- I guarantee you a kid walking around with fresh baked goods here in the United States would clean up. Yes. Shortly before being arrested for lack of all sanitation <laughs> registration, but they would sell their, all the, their entire basket for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because hey, Brian, what's yeah. better than a fresh baked good to coming right to your door? You're going to buy something. And a kid is cute. Something. And a kid yeah. is cute. Absolutely. Uh, here's what I was going to tell you before. Yes. Even to this day, whenever I my phone rings and I see it's you calling me, mm-hmm. a shiver of fear goes down my spine. <laughs> As it should, because I'm probably <laughs> calling to read you the riot act. Because <laughs> yeah. you're my older bro, and you're like the only guy who can read me the riot act. And for some reason, I just always think you're like on the verge. <laughs> Given me a piece of your mind for some reason. <laughs> That's right. I was uh, I was watching a, a, a clip from a, a wonderful, wonderful TV miniseries called The Band of Brothers today, and in it, there's a lieutenant, Lieutenant Spears, who does uh, something uh, violent and objectionable, but then get, gets a reputation for it. And later in the show, someone is asking him, "Is it really true?" And he goes on to say, "It may or may not be true, but there's certainly a benefit to having people think." 
that that it might be true. So yes, having people think that you might be about to 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 go off on them at all times conveys certain benefits. And so we talked about uh, management style a second ago at the facility. And I hope there's nobody uh, from my old work crew in Peru, uh, none of whom speak English listening to this. Uh, but something that I used to do down there in Peru to keep my crew motivated, um, I would keep some old, junky, non-useful cell phones uh, around. And about twice a year, I would take a non-functioning cell phone and pretend to be on a conversation in English with somebody in the United States on that cell phone. And I would get into an absolutely ripping argument with nobody. There was nobody on the other end. And I would be screaming and swearing and cursing at them. And I would terminate this by throwing the cell phone onto the ground and stomping it with my foot and making a big display of being really, really furious. Um, just to let everybody know that even though I'm an easygoing guy, occasionally I lose my temper. And when I do, it gets violent quickly. You uh, really they, did that? They, yeah, I really did that. They needed to know. You're a crazy person, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my management style. <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, about once a year, I would have to let somebody go and I would try to do it uh, in the most public and shame, shaming way possible. I would make them do the walk of shame uh, and I would let them go at a, at a meeting, at a staff meeting. Um, and I didn't relish doing that, but I needed everybody to know that working there was a, a but you were letting, but you were, le you were letting them go for good reason when you should. Oh, I know it was always for cause. I never did yeah. that just for show, but I yeah. made a show out of it so that everybody knew that they, if they, if they crossed the line, they would be let go. And in a shameful fashion, I could see you in a, in a job interview setting. And they said, how would you best describe your, your, your management style. And you go, it's the, um, the raving lunatic. <laughs> right. It, the volatile, verging, verging on objectionable and violent. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I scare the bejesus out of every single person <laughs> who works for me. <laughs> Fear or respect? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know what I thought we might, uh, now that we've riffed for a solid 20 minutes, mm -hmm. um, I thought we one thing that we might get into today, we've been talking a lot about what was happening in Peru. Mm -hmm. I thought it might be interesting to tell you what me and Dan were up to in the United States while all that was happening. Yeah, I'd really like to know that because, so from my perspective, I was so focused and tunnel visioned on what I was doing that, and, and it, it, it always seemed to me, I mean, in my conception, you guys were living it up, you know, by the beach or near oh, the mountains. That's and, hilarious. And, that, was that, was that just really, sort was of, that, was that really your conception? Not, I mean, not exactly like that, but I just, it was hard for me to conceive that you guys were feeling any of the sort of stress that I was feeling because I was doing uh, a, a really difficult thing far from home in a, in an adverse environment. But now that I'm back in the States and doing more on the business side, I see that you guys must have been going through a heck of a time, like really, really stressful and difficult. And I'd like to know more about it. Well, we had to, yeah, we had to solve a lot of problems and also we had to keep sending you money. That and, was the thing. And yeah. I knew that it was hard for you guys, but I didn't know exactly why or how. So, you know, I, I've over the years have become a, a really good salesman that that's probably what I'm better at than anything else. Although I was the company accountant, I'm still the acting company CFO, but I really, I really like selling stuff. And I think operations, people always think that sales guys are just yucking it up, going out to lunch and <laughs> shoot, shooting the breeze with people. But so that's not nah, selling, se being a salesman, especially if you're selling a product that has no track record, which is the situation that we were, we were in, 
mm-hmm. is one of the most psychologically challenging jobs that anybody will have to ever have to do mm-hmm. because you get rejected so much, so, so much now in our case. Uh, so we, you, you were sending us cacao samples. Did I ever tell you the, the story of how we met Gary Guitard and ended uh, no. up getting our very first samples made? No, I really don't think that. Uh, you all right. Did. So, so we had some cacao samples and we decided that we were going to have to figure out um, who was going to buy this stuff. And we didn't know if we were going to be selling raw cacao or if we were going right. to be selling our, chocolate. Our, our model was unclear. Of it was totally exactly unclear what to do with the beans. We knew that we wanted to have the beans. Yeah. And you were, you had figured out how to produce beans mm-hmm. and we had beans. And one of the very, I don't know how, how my dad came across this, but there was this machine called the Choco Easy machine. You remember hearing yes. about that? I do recall the Choco Easy. Uh, yes. I, I actually think my dad called the Choco Easy people and they told him that somebody in Las Vegas had a machine and they were doing demonstrations. I recall that. Yes. All right. So we made arrangements to go check out the Choco Easy machine and we brought some cacao samples with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that's where we found out that the cacao was really good. You know, we made I remember Dan's description of running it through the machine with some folks that I'll let, I'll let you talk about who was yeah. there, but, but, and then he said the smell of blueberries started floating out and everybody kind of went, went, whoa. And that's when everybody thought this might be something. And I wish I had been there. Yeah. So we had some chocolate made, but not very much there, but yes, mm-hmm. the people that were there were extremely impressed. And one of the guys was Paul Edward from chef rubber who ended up being being somebody who's really instrumental in helping us get our chocolate off the ground mm-hmm. um he also let us down some pads that that we had to kind of find our way but that's that's not a slight against paul he was giving us his best advice and there's like i said when you when your when your product doesn't have a track record there's really no way for you to know what's going to work and what's not going to work i would say that would be another thing that people who are interested in starting businesses don't realize mm-hmm. that it's going to take you a solid three or four years just to even figure out what people want from you. Yeah. I think folks, maybe, maybe there are businesses out there that have a much, much more defined forward path and a much clearer and, and, and well-defined idea of exactly what they want, and how to get there. But I mean, we, we, we had some general ideas, but boy, oh boy, did we ever have to fill in the specifics as we went. We know? did. We, we did not know what was going to be, what, what people are going to want from us. So, um, so we found out that this cacao was really good. And my dad, Dan started, who's our third partner, started doing research about who were the fine, the high, because Paul told us that we really wanted to focus on a high-end gourmet market. So we started doing research online and we found this organization called the Fine Chocolate Industry Association. Mm-hmm. And we found out that they had a meeting in San Francisco. They had one in San Francisco and one in New York. They had two meetings a year. And the next meeting was going to be in San Francisco. So we looked at who all the members were and we made a list of who all the people were that we were going to want to talk to. Mm-hmm. And we flew to San Francisco one weekend and all these people that we wanted to meet were there. And we started walking around. It was like a, a meet and greet. It was a mixer. And I suck at mingling. I don't know if you know that about me, Brian. I, I, I'm the, I, I'm the I worst. Do. And so I hate this, it. 
This is wonderful because first off, the whole idea of doing putting that together and going with the idea of mingling is uh, for an ops guy like me is it starts makes me a little bit sweaty and paranoid. But secondly, it's so funny that you would want to do that because even though you're amazing at sales, I've been to the chat to the uh, Northwest to the Northwest Chocolate Show with you, and you're absolutely terrible at doing exactly what you're describing. It's, I think it's uh, for a salesperson, you're horrible at it. Why I, I, is that? Let's hold on. Here's a rabbit hole I want to go down. You're one of the most sociable people I know. You love talking to people. But when you get into a conference setting, you're absolutely miserable going around and talking to people. All you do is hang out by the sides and say, can we go now? Well, like, wanna, what, what is it? You want to know why? Because yes. none of those conversations are going to lead to sales. So like if we go to the Northwest Co Chocolates Festival and we're like walking around looking at booths, I don't get to try to sell those people. And likewise, at a conference, 85% of the conversations you're going to have are just small talk. Right. When but I, don't those relationships that no. you build sometimes lead to business down the road? I, I don't think so. Okay. I would much rather pick up a phone and just cold call people and ask them if they want to buy stuff. Now that makes you a true salesman because <laughs> wanting to cold call more than make small talk with pe industry people that you, you know, that, that is a true, that is truly sales driven. I mean, so, right. So it just feels like a waste of time to me. That's why. And I hate wasting time. That would probably be one of the key distinct, like one of my key features as a, as a human being mm -hmm. is I just hate wasting time. I hate doing stuff that feels wasteful. So anyhow, we, we went there and I'm not going to say any names, but there were some like famous culinary people at this meeting mm -hmm. and I walked up to them and I, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I was probably, you know, I'm 12 years younger than I was now. I'm 12 years, I was 12 years younger than I am now when I did this. So I'm like a youngish guy. And I, I walked up to these well-established chocolate people. I said, hey, my name's Adam. My brother lives in Peru. We found these uh, white cacao beans. It's a thought to be extinct uh, variety of cacao. And we're just, we're here. We're trying to find to see if there's people, anybody who's interested in working with us. And I, and I tell you <laughs> what, dude. My skin is crawling even hearing this. I tell you what, bro. I had 10 people basically look at me and just literally turn around and turn their back <laughs> on me. They could not have been more rude <sighs> they could not have been more rude i'm getting a little sweaty and uncomfortable just hearing you say this this is why i'm not cut out for sales man i, the, I, I couldn't do that these people ice cold rejection bro <laughs> ice cold <laughs> rejection and so i did that about 10 times and i just i thought this well this sucks like we're I, like how are we gonna get a business going? i don't think anybody cares about this at all and, you know, at this point, we were probably already three years in to spending money and we finally had the cacao. We knew the cacao was good. Yeah. It's like two years in. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe two yeah. years. It's just like, yeah. I don't think anybody cares about this. Um, so I did then what you have seen me do is I basically went and sat at the table by myself and just started um, skulking. Uh, <laughs> is it skulking or sulking? I was sulking. Well, you're skulking also is a, yeah. is a thing. Is it? All right. I got some coffee. I sat at a table by myself mm -hmm. and um, I was sitting there by myself. Just and then a big I, old meathead just hanging out on the edges <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the party, drinking coffee and just sourly. You've, I've heard you refer to me as a meathead a lot. So that's obviously yeah. how you see me as just a big lunkhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's just walk down the criteria of a big old meathead. Are you, are you, are you a big, tall guy? Yeah. Are you just a physically large, imposing fellow? Yeah. Yeah. Are you just 
kind of like stomping around like <laughs> no yeah, absolutely you are <laughs> ask anybody they'll tell you so there you are you're a big meathead the people hear me talking i don't think i'm coming across like <laughs> but anyhow <laughs> but obviously that's how you see me but whatever hey agree to disagree it's fine mm-hmm. um so i was i so i went and sat at a table and then somebody made an announcement that the main presentation was going to be starting mm-hmm. and the table i was sitting at filled up with people all right uh, and were any of them people that had previously shunned you after your ad hoc? Some of, yes, there was, there was a couple. Oh, that's so uncomfortable. But what, so what happened is they would serve a meal before the presentation started. Yeah, it was, it was the whole, dude, how uncomfortable is it to just have a person just be a jerk to you? And then you're, just, and then they, and then they're just there still. Anyhow, you're all, and you're all still in a room together. So yeah. the people filled into this table and this really nice woman ended up sitting next to me. I still remember her name, Lizette. Mm-hmm. And she, she and I struck up a conversation. Now here's where I, I am strong. If I'm sitting down next to somebody and we just mm-hmm. have a chance to talk to each other, I could become a deep friend with somebody just mm-hmm. at a dinner table. But walking around mingling is not a thing. So I met with her. I told her our, our whole story. And she said, you know what? I got to introduce you to Gary. And Gary was Gary Guitard. Who, um, that's interesting i don't think if i don't think people really listening to this know who gary guitar is he probably owns, not yeah. he owns guitar chocolate which is a mm-hmm. huge chocolate company i believe that they're out the of Princeton, san francisco or near san francisco, san francisco yeah, and yeah, yeah. Game. yeah yeah and they got a, a street named after them over there mm-hmm. and they are the main chocolate supplier for seas candy and also um almost every restaurant in the world uses guitar chocolate for their confections mm-hmm the pastry chefs will use good guitar chocolate. They got bars in the grocery stores and they're a very good company. And Gary's a good man. And little known fact, if a restaurant doesn't use their chocolate, the guitar family sends out a couple of, uh, a, couple a couple of, of big goons. fellas. Yeah. yeah a, couple, a couple of big guys, a couple of big goons and roughs them up a little bit. And that's how they've really expanded their, 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 you know, their yes. reach throughout the restaurant industry and their sales reps <laughs> get hammered at these industry association meetings. Is that true? Oh man. I've probably met like four sales reps who were just blitzed walking ah. around making small talk, just drunk, slurring their words. <laughs> classy, classy organization you got here. Absolutely. No, but they yeah. actually are a classy organization. Um, and so Lizette introduced me to Gary and, and me and Gary had a really nice conversation. And he said, send me some samples of your cacao. And so we ended up sending him some samples and he made chocolate for us, like really professionally made chocolate for us. Yeah, I have to say the guitars are great in terms of supporting people by making by doing samples oh. and doing doing up some lab and sample work for folks that are getting into the industry. They're really really generous about that. Yeah, and so he made he made samples for us. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at my dad's house. By the way, um, there was nothing doing. I mean, there was no sales being paid at all. Like people did not want to buy rocket rocket cow was not. I think. That's right. We were at the front end of the craft chocolate wave and there, there yeah. weren't that many artisanal craft chocolate makers to buy the beans. Yet. Yeah. We ended up selling, you know, 30 or 40 tons of cacao a year to those guys a couple, just a few years later. But at this time we did, we were trying to find some people to buy some stuff, but it wasn't going. But I, I remember, I still remember Gary sent us these cool little sample bars in the mail that he had made with our chocolate. Mm-hmm. And he, he put a little note in there. And I remember the note said, Hey Adam, thanks for the samples. This chocolate came out pretty good, huh? That's like what the what the note said. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I said, I, I, you know, because I, I used to go over to I used to go over to my dad's house to work and and try to 
call chocolate companies and see if they want to call big chocolate companies and see if they want to buy cacao from us. Did you? I didn't know that. Oh, I was cold calling huge. I was cold calling all these chocolate companies all over the world. I didn't know that. And I didn't and, know you did it at your dad's house. This and, is, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So I would sit, I would go over to his house and do that. And, and the sample showed up and I said, dad, come over here. The sample showed up and uh, we opened those up and it was the first time I ever had really tasted chocolate made with our cacao. Mm-hmm. And it was so good, dude. Mm. It was so good. It was, I, 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 I could still remember it brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. And I remember in that moment thinking, well, this is it. This is this. It's, this is going to work. I, you know, as soon as I tasted the chocolate, I just knew people are going to want to buy this. The, that the, is inspirational. I really didn't know about this. this yeah. Is, that's a, this is a wonderful story. That made me know Pete, Somehow this is, we're going to make this work because this chocolate is great. A little bit later, Paul introduced um, my dad to Franz Ziegler, mm-hmm. who is a friend of ours who helped us a lot, who's a, a pretty well-known uh, European, uh, what was it, like, does like dessert cookbooks, He's a right? chocolate, chocolatier pastry guy. Uh, he's into uh, chocolate sculpture and artistic uh, chocolate making. He's He's a, it's a very European thing. Um, he is a, a, a Swiss gentleman. Uh, he's a sort of a wizard with chocolate and he can do almost anything with it from making delicious things to making chocolate statuary to making he's a, he really specializes in design using chocolate fondant. Yeah. Uh, he's a, and a wonderful personal friend of mine as well. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Great, great man. Great man. Yeah, he's got. A, he's a little bit bigger. That he's a he's a big, robust fellow. He is. Big, deep laugh. He's like a big bear. He is. Um, and I remember once yeah. he he told you that he had a jam collect. He had like a collection of jams from all he's over the world. Very, like he's, the, he's into jellies and jams, <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> that's a point. That's like a big bear um, hobby, you know. I, I have to tell you, I stayed at Franz Ziegler's house uh, when I went to Switzerland to visit the uh, to visit some clients and to uh, to visit the Falkland Chocolate Factory. And uh, having breakfast on the deck of Franz's house overlooking Lake Zurich, you've never had a finer selection of jams to choose from to put on your toast. I mean, this fellow goes nine deep with the morning jam selection. He's just, he loves jam. He loves that, jelly, he loves jam. That's a, that is a hobby for someone I mean, who, who loves food. I mean, like marmalade, there's some of that too. There's, there's kind of everything you want, you know? Yeah. Um, so listen, right after we got that sample, I want to say... Mm-hmm maybe six weeks after we got that sample from Goutard, mm-hmm. Franz says, Dan, I want you to come over to Switzerland and meet with these people from Falkland. And Falkland is a, I think they're like a 120 year old mm-hmm. Swiss chocolate making factory. Brian, mm-hmm. you've been to their location. I have. They're world renowned, high end, high quality chocolate. Well, the top making, chocolate three, two or three couverture makers in yeah. the world in terms of quality yeah yeah, yeah. and at, and so after we tasted those samples from Goutard, it was pretty obvious to us that we were going to have to sell chocolate not cacao because the mm-hmm. chocolate was so good yeah and honestly we were debating if we should just have Goutard make our chocolate but then we decided to wait on make we were going to just hire Goutard to manufacture chocolate for us that's what we were thinking uh but we decided well let's go see what what's what's the deal with falcon we thought maybe we were going to sell cacao to Falkland, but we, but after we tasted the samples, it, it started becoming obvious to us that selling chocolate would be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember Dan was a little nervous about going to Switzerland. 
he didn't know what he was going to go get himself into mm-hmm. himself into. And I, I just, I told him, I remember telling him before he left, listen, you should be going in there with all the confidence in the world mm-hmm. because I have that swagger. Well, I just told him like, taste this chocolate, taste it. How is this not going to, going to be something that they're going to want to, that they're going to be impressed by taste mm-hmm. it. I kept telling him like, if you ever are just feeling nervous, I've told this to my dad. I was telling him, if you ever feel nervous or whatever, just eat some of this chocolate. It's the most delicious thing we've ever tasted. Which you're right. But of course, it's it, when you're going into Felkland, a place that I've been that has a, with, with, that has 195 years of chocolate experience on their on their six person tasting panel uh, and that has a special lab run by this brilliant Russian woman that teaches uh, high end pastry chefs from all over the world how to develop their chocolate palate. To have that kind of confidence and swagger going into Falcon is frankly ridiculous, but you have, but then again, you have to have it. Well, and this is where I excel having, having totally unjustified swagger. About <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to just go tell someone this is the best thing in the world. I have no context for that. I just only know my own opinion on it. But, um, so, uh, but, but this is an interesting point too, for anybody who is talking about or interested in starting a business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have to be an expert in the field you're going into. You can well, trust, you can trust your instincts. Sometimes that's right. Well, not only that, the reality is that you it, you're just just by having an opinion and making it at least somewhat yeah. informed, you're more expert than the vast majority of people but, that you're going to be talking. To. But you want to know some? I was right too about this because I yeah. tasted that chocolate without having tasted very much chocolate. I just knew that this was outright delicious. Yeah, because we weren't fine chocolate people. We, we weren't didn't have educated palates. Not, nothing. We, we were we were Hershey's folk. Nothing. I just yeah. and I hadn't tasted. I, but I tasted this, and I just thought this is the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. I just mm-hmm. I love it. And um, so, but anyways, Dan went over to Switzerland, and you were talking about how they have this really sophisticated tasting lab, and yes. they made samples with our cacao. He took some cacao samples with him. And they put it through this really strict protocol. Mm-hmm. And I think that particular batch of cacao ended up, I think I'm, I'm remembering this correctly and not exaggerating, ended up being the highest rated cacao that they had ever put through the tasting process or something like that. They ended, wow. I mean, it ended up blowing their minds. And that was the cacao that you had fermented. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, dry, that was- yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, we were we were starting to, to hit our stride with the cacao at the time. Well, that see, that's amazing because now I what the last time I was at the Falcon factory, I got invited by their chief head chocolate guy to sit in on their morning tasting panel meeting every morning or at least a couple times a week. They sit down and they taste. And when these when I say they taste, this is as professional and high level a chocolate tasting as you can possibly imagine. It's eight or nine people in a room. And there's chocolate and there's some, some water and crackers and they've got their tasting sheets in front of them. And these people are smelling and tasting and working down to the most minute possible detail. And these people have been training for years and years. They have a smell, a smell lab where you can try to correlate smells with you to build your palate, your, your smell and palate vocabulary to try to be able to come up with the, with, with, with words, with associations for what you're smelling. And I mean, 
they leave absolutely nothing to chance when it comes to, to, to tasting. So to, to think that they graded out our product I, as that high is quite high praise. I believe you got a perfect score. Oh, I, I, I believe that that first batch of cacao got a perfect score. So they're blown away mm-hmm. and they want to work with us. And um, they got this old equipment there. They have new modern. It's a really modern factory, but they also have old equipment that they use for really special projects. Right. We should mention this is not like old decrepit equipment that they that they have. No, they, 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 it's refurbished. Original. Well, they found a, an old an old castle in Spain that had been used to make chocolate and it was now sitting there unused and they bought a bunch of sort of uh, legacy equipment from uh, like 19th century chocolate making equipment and and spruced it up and installed it as showpieces in their factory. These are not like old decrepit machines sitting around, but rather historical chocolate making machines that make it the old, slow, delicious way. It's not super... It's not efficient and profitable by modern standards, but it makes the most brilliant chocolate. It's wonderful. It right. And, and very few companies get approved to have their chocolate made on the old machines. That's right. Because they can't, they can't pump out enough volume to, mm-hmm. to use those machines all the time. So they have to be really sparing. But for our cacao, they, they thought it was a perfect application of these old machines. So Dan came back from Switzerland and it was like, hey, Falkland's going to make chocolate for us. So we knew what our product was going to be. Um, we're going to have to wrap up this show pretty soon, but mm-hmm. to tease the next show, I will tell you somewhere, I think somewhere after that, Paul and Franz came down to Peru somewhere right in there. Yes. We should talk about the the, the beginning of having uh, uh, people come down to visit the site in Peru. Because- I will. Yeah, that that was that was pretty that was pretty exciting. But, but somewhere in there, talking about how hard it is to be going back to about the desperate situation that sometimes a salesperson finds themselves in. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there, we decided, or we were advised that since our chocolate was so special, that we should price our chocolate like forty percent higher than the next highest price chocolate that must have been very easy to yeah say. and we could just go out there we'll just, hey we're just going to be what's what's the biggest lo- like we're going to be the crystal of chocolate or we're going to be the maybach yes that was, that was franz's refrain was why sell a mercedes when you can sell a maybach yeah which is most people don't even know what we're talking about it's the world's most expensive production car i think maybe it's been surpassed by bugatti but this is a company that makes $800,000 sedans. So we, we had all, so we, we sent all of this cacao from Peru to Switzerland and it goes to the port of Rotterdam and then up a river and it ends up at this chocolate factory in the mountains. And we, right. It, go, it gets uh, barged up to yeah. Basel and then goes, uh, and then, and then by truck, from Basel to their factory in Schwitz, which yeah. is in central Switzerland. Yeah. And, and then I remember we went to Vegas to see the first shipment of chocolate unloaded. Mm-hmm. Me and my dad took the trip to Vegas to watch the truck show up. And we made an agreement with Paul um, at Chef Rubber, who had his warehouse in Las Vegas, that he was going to house, he was going to store the chocolate for us. And when we had orders, he would, he would fulfill it for us. Mm-hmm. So we went to Vegas and we helped the unloading and it was so exciting. And now we got 15 tons of chocolate <laughs> 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 sitting in a just warehouse. A little, just a, just a 
small inventory of 15 tons of chocolate and yeah. and legitimately we had i mean between the cacao and how much we had to pay Falkland, uh we had we probably had a quarter million dollars invested in that chocolate Whew. we had we had put about two hundred fifty thousand dollars into that chocolate uh and franz and paul had lined up a few a few customers for us mm-hmm. including a customer who's still a really good customer of ours in Switzerland, who's a Roger von Ratz, who, you mm-hmm. know, and Paul had lined up a couple, but it was nowhere near enough to, to, to sell all the chocolate that we had. And we really needed to sell that. Chocolate. It was very important that we sell that chocolate and get our money back. Cause we had to, you know, you had the pressures in Peru to continue to uh, increase your volume in order for us to be a viable option to buy cacao from the farmers and not, yep lose our credibility. Cause I know you're always fighting a credibility battle that, mm-hmm. that people could feel good about doing business with us. Right. Um, so that's when the cold calling really started. <laughs> and I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm cold calling five-star Michelin starred chefs. I'm cold calling chocolatiers in every city. I'm just doing my best to open up accounts. And we had the highest, you know, everybody's using Guitard or Calibo or Valrona. Mm-hmm. And these guys are big hundred million and billion dollar a year companies with marketing budgets. And they take, they take their chef partners on, on trips around the world Oh yeah, to oh, keep yeah. them loyal. I remember we sent some chocolate to this guy in San Francisco and he wrote us back and said, this is the best chocolate I've ever tasted. The manufacturing is superior. The cacao quality is superior, superior. This is the embodiment of everything it means for a chocolate to be considered a fine chocolate. And I said, um, hey man, that really means a lot, especially coming from a guy like you. Are you gonna place an order? He said, no, I have an exclusive deal with Valrona. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention Valrona is a French chocolate company that is an, also, um, I mentioned before that Felkland is among the two or three best uh, curvature uh, professional level chocolate uh, manufacturers in the world. Falkland, Valrona, yeah. Valrona is is a, another of that group of two or yeah. three. And Guitard's, uh, Guitard's another Guitard one. Guitard is right in there. And too. Calibo is one that's super popular. Calibo is popular. They're not, but it's they're, not they're, fine. They're, no, it's not. It, they, they may offer some fine products, but overall so, their range is quite, quite average. Yeah. So that's what I was doing, bro, <laughs> in the United States. Wow. This was, is a ripping tale. Imagine getting an email like that. How disheartening that is. You know? like, I, the whole sales process is incredibly disheartening. I don't know how you guys do it. You have to just be so uh, ultimately, and this, this is true of a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the way that you have to manage your emotions and your psychology and sales is you have to content yourself with the activity, not the outcome. Yes, that's a very, very see. This is why I tell people that you're a wise young man because that is a that is a very that is a wizened approach to things. And there's a lot there's a lot of things like that. Yeah, exercise, exercise and weight loss. That's right. You can't get um, too focused on the destination because you've got to you've got to stay focused on the journey. That's it. So you say, look, I'm I'm calling 50 people today. I, you know, it doesn't even matter what happens. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm going to do that. And little little by little, you start to find some people who are who believe in you and believe in your pitch. And we started opening up some accounts, but the the price thing that that we had such an expensive price. And when you're doing business to business selling, your 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 stuff has to fit into into their structure, you know. 
Yeah, they got to be able to have a financial money. model, and they need to have mark be able to market up. And so, yeah. if you're wildly out of whack with the market price, you're just not going to get the sales. Yeah, we started talking to our partners like Franz and Paul, and it's like we got to lower our prices, and they were dead set against it. No, no, you don't do that. That's going to mess up your brand. <laughs> and another Easy position to take when it's not your capital. yeah. And you and you want to know something else, bro? We're me, our family. We're not fancy food people. No. So there was also this, this were sort of middle class. We have a middle class. I almost want to say a blue collar middle class kind of ethic to us. I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're not necessarily blue collar workers, but I think our sensibilities tend towards that. And it's ironic you say that because I'm wearing a collared shirt that is a lovely shade of light blue today. Me too. So I'm actually wearing a blue collar. Yeah. So, so that's, I, mean, I don't know for what it's worth. Literally and figuratively. So, <laughs> um, and I really struggled just re- just relating to some of these fancy people we were trying to sell to. The foodie world is definitely not our natural home. Yeah, no, it isn't. So all that stuff uh, is what was going on here in the United States. And meanwhile, you're still asking for more and more money to buy more and more cacao and to build out your factories. On this end, we got all this all this inventory, all this money tied up in inventory. And we were, we didn't know what we were doing on the sales side. And that, that's what we were going through here in the U S bro. Wow. That is a ripping tail. All right. Next. I want to hear, I want to hear more about the progression of how, as I started to turn out more beans about the progression of how the, the, the business grew. And let's definitely talk about that first trip down when Paul and his wife, Crystal, and Franz and uh, Dan came down and I think you were already down there. And no, I'm going to yeah, go, we, back, and, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, go we, back and review some pictures and see uh, if anyone else was on that trip. Cause I can't recall. We will bro. Um, right. So that's what we'll do on the next podcast. You want to go ahead and sign us off with, with the jingle. Absolutely. Which by the way, if there are any professional jingle writers out there, we're, we're, we're desperately in need of assistance. <laughs> this jingle is terrible. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Here we go. Fortunato yum. You don't need to preface every time you say that with. Just, <laughs> see, this is why I'm not in sales. I am having a hard time selling this jingle. I just literally, not, I have no swagger around this jingle. Literally, every time you have to say the jingle, you got to do 20 seconds. <laughs> if there's a <laughs> professional jingle writer out there and out there, I yeah, I mean, I just figure with an audience as massive as this podcast has, there yeah. must be at least one professional jingle writer out so there. So look, right? give it to give it to us one more time without the editorializing. Okay, here's the greatest jingle in the world, everybody. Fortunato, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see y'all on the next podcast. Bye. Bye.